All right, good morning, guys. I'm glad you all got up early. Did it feel bad this morning? Was it too hard? Not too bad? Some of you are like, I get up early anyway. I started getting texts at uh, 4 a.m. from my friend on the East Coast. I told him that was too early. Um, Anyway, this morning, we're going to take a break from our sermon series in the book of Acts. We've been working our way through Acts, and, and we will continue to do so. But, but actually, over the next three weeks, we're going to take a little bit of a break. Uh, in the next two weeks, um, we're going to be focusing on Easter. Um, that is two Sundays from now. And, um, and so we're going to have, not counting this morning, three services in the coming two weeks. And I hope that you will... Uh, be present for each of those as we seek to prepare our hearts to celebrate the resurrection of Christ and to really engage um, the real joy of the season. So next week, we're going to be looking at um, the reality of the world and why Jesus had to come. We're going to be taking a look at um, what it means for God to so love the world in all of its brokenness, in the reality of, of, of all of its mess. And, um, and what that looks like um, in our response, both to the brokenness and in our yearning for its healing and wholeness. And then we're going to ask you to come back um, a week from this Friday. That'll be Good Friday. We're going to have a service um, in the evening uh, on Good Friday, and it'll be a service of lament, right? We're going to enter into the darkness uh, as we come to really yearn for the breaking of the dawn. Uh, much like the disciples on Good Friday, um, they were sitting in the darkness, but, but just yearning for God to do something. And of course, He did come back on Easter Sunday, and we will celebrate the resurrection of Christ and the breaking in of the kingdom of God into the kingdom of man. And so we have a lot coming up over the next couple of weeks that I hope that you guys will enter into, um, because this is not only a significant time on the Christian calendar, I think it is a significant time for the growth of grace in our hearts. And so I welcome you back um, for that. This morning, um, we're going to go a little bit off track. This morning, we have uh, really a very important um, event in the life of our church. Um, This morning, we're going to be recognizing new elders. And so um, as part of that process, what I want to do is is, uh, take an opportunity to kind of open up the text and talk a little bit about what elders, you know, do and who they are and why it's important and uh, just use it as an opportunity to teach. So let's take a look at our text. We're going to 1 Timothy 3. 1 Timothy 3, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 7. It's page 992 in our Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, grab one off the floor around you um, and go ahead and flip over to page 992. Now, if you don't have a Bible, if you're a guest with us, um, please take that one with you. It's our gift to you. We would love to put the Word of God into your hands so that you can read it and, and um, uh, dig into it um, midweek, okay? All right, so we're going over to 1 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 7, and uh, let's read these verses together. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil." 
Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. The word of the Lord. All right, when I planted Trailhead five years ago, um, I knew, even as we were starting out, that part of my task in church planting was to raise up other elders. I was functioning as the, the sole pastor elder of the church. I worked with an advisory board. I wasn't completely isolated. I had accountability, and I had men who were speaking into my life and into the running of the church, but they weren't here. They were pastors at other churches that I knew and I trusted, and, and, and I submitted myself to them um, as we moved through that season until we were able to um, raise up local leaders, um, people that would step into that primary leadership role with me. So envisioning that um, was honestly very exciting and honestly very scary. Um, Trailhead is, is God's church, right? I, I readily admit that. Uh, it is His church, and it grows by His grace. Uh, it is not mine, but in a lot of ways, it's like my baby. Um, I, have, I have invested my life into, um, into this church, and it's been my great joy. And the idea of releasing control... Um, is a little exciting and a little scary. I'm just going to be honest, right? I mean, I'm talking about raising up people who have the ability to, to hire and fire, including me. Um, I'm talking about people who have the authority and the ability to say no to me. <laughs> and they do a lot. Um, and that's actually a very good thing. Um, but I knew that was an important part of the growth and maturity of this church, um, and I knew, more importantly than all of that, that these guys would shape the culture and the direction of this church. That, that their lives, their values, their opinions, their personalities would have a significant shaping influence on this church. That is both exciting and scary, but it is clearly... God's plan. Um, so I want to take the opportunity this morning to teach a little bit um, about why. Why elders? Um, and what does it mean? And, and who are they supposed to be? And so this morning is going to be a little bit more teachy than preachy. And uh, if you're a guest, I, I kind of apologize for that a little bit in the sense that um, this isn't going to be a rousing inspirational message, but I hope that it will give you a greater insight into what not only makes Trailhead tick, uh, but what drives the church and um, why this is important. This is a significant moment in the life of the church, and I want to make the most of it. So I'm going to start with this statement, okay? This statement, elders are men who? Elders are men who? And there are two things that we need to address in this statement. Elders are men, and elders are plural. There's more than one. Um, elders are men. This is the clear and consistent example um, and the, uh, the clear direction or the teaching of Scriptures. When you read through the New Testament, every New Testament church is led uh, by a group of men called elders. And every time it's taught about in the New Testament, uh, it, it teaches that men are to be elders. And I know right up front, which is why I'm addressing this, <laughs> that for some of you, this is going to trigger some red flags, 
okay? For some of you, this is going to really start making you uncomfortable. This is not popular today. I understand that. I know that because it seems sexist and regressive. And, uh, and in reaction to the chauvinistic patriarchal abuse of men um, over women, historically, and, and in our culture, some would argue that you really need to become egalitarian. And what that means is that you need to allow uh, both men and women uh, to be elders and pastors in, in the church. Because in, in their mind, a difference of role automatically equals a lack of equality. If you have different roles um, for the genders, that means that there is uh, an imbalance of equality. Um, I will say this, a desire to address the chauvinistic patriarchal abuse of power, I don't think requires us to become egalitarian. We are required to address it. I believe scripture places on us the obligation to address the abuse of power and influence uh, that comes from um, ungodly, unearned privilege in our culture. And that, and that plays out in, in a number of ways um, that are way too broad for me to dig into this morning. Um, what it absolutely does require us to do is, is to recognize that while we are different in many ways, we are absolutely equal in value and in dignity and in worth, that there are, we believe, different roles, but equal gifts, equal strengths, equal personal value and worth. Um, and this is a concept that I know, again, is culturally challenging for us today. I, I would begin my apologetic, and, and, and it's going to get much broader, but I'm not going to, again, dig into it all this morning, but I would look at the Trinity as the model, right? God created us in His image. Male and female, He created them, Genesis uh, chapter 2, right? In the Trinity, what we see of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, three who's, but one what, right? One God, three persons, absolutely equal in dignity and authority and power and glory, but working and, and, and relating to one another in, in different roles. There is, in fact, a submission wired into the very essence of God. When we, when we look at the, the person of God, we see that the Son submits to the Father. And we see that the Son and the Spirit submit to the Father, and the Spirit submits to the Son. And, and, I, and I think it's absolutely clear when we look at the person of God, this is not inherently degrading. It is unique in role. And what that means is because they're unique in role, they're unique in glory. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, equal in dignity, equal in power, equal in personhood, unique in their role and unique in their glory. We live in a culture where the very word submit seems degrading. Um, some people have a hard time even spitting it out because um, we don't want to have to submit to anyone. That's, that's kind of the reality of it. Um, we want to be autonomous. Uh, we want to be masters of our own fate. Uh, we want to be self-made men and women, but that's not life, you guys. Roles are, are part of life. We, we deal with roles in every aspect of life, and every role acts in submission to some other role. 
in, in every realm, whether it's in, 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 in the workplace or in culture and society, politically, in the home, uh, there are roles. And, um, and because of that, um, we see that, that submission is, in fact, part of the normal ordering and operation of society. It is not inherently degrading. So the clear and consistent example and direction of Scripture is that elders are to be men and that the church is to submit to those elders. Um, I want to be very, very clear about this. <laughs> I'm not saying that all men need to submit to all women. That is not what I'm saying, um, and that's not my point at all. Um, I'm saying the whole church submits to the leadership of the elders. Men and women are called to submit to them. And, uh, and that means in the church, we need strong, independent men and women, leaders, walking in their gifts, and, and called to use those gifts under the leadership of the elders. Now, I, I'm going to unpack this more fully. We have a position paper on the city, um, and if you want to have further dialogue about this, I invite you to it, okay? Please don't just shut the door to this um, and, and assume that we are uh, regressive, chauvinistic, and sexist without having a conversation. Okay, because um, we're happy to sit down and discuss this further with you. Uh, you can access that position paper on the city. The, the city is our online communication tool. If you don't know what that is, visit our connection point in the lobby. They'll help you sign up, um, and it'll help you get resources and get plugged into um, what's happening uh, around the church. Okay? All right, so the clear example in teaching of Scripture is elders to be men, and they should be plural. Again, this is a consistent example of the New Testament um, teaching and, and um, the example of each church. As churches started in the New Testament, after a period of time, um, the apostles who started them or the church planters who started them went back and, and raised up, identified, and recognized local leadership. And it was always a plurality of elders, not a single elder, uh, not a hierarchy of elders, but a body of elders, a group of elders, more than one. Now, we're not told how many, right? There's no dictate on how many elders there are supposed to be. We simply know that there was a plurality of elders in every local church and that those elders were equal in authority, different in roles, but equal in authority. Each one had an authoritative voice um, in leading the church. And in fact, their authority rested in the group, not as individuals. I don't know if that makes sense to you. But what that means is I cannot, uh, on my own, simply pronounce things um, about the church. My authority comes from the body of elders on which I serve. I am accountable to them, and I am submissive to them. In the same way, they are accountable to me and the other elders and are submissive to us, right? We have one voice. We are one body. We have one authority. And what that means is, is that um, each one of us uh, individually, um, while we are elders, we only carry the authority of eldership as we operate together. Um, <laughs> so, more than one. Um, I'm going to just tell you up front, this is not the most efficient model of leadership. It really isn't. Um, it is difficult to get everybody in one room 
It is difficult to, to make sure that we have enough time to have full discussions. It is difficult to make sure everybody reads the right material so that when we all sit down, we can talk about the right things, um, to make sure everybody's on the same page, to, to make sure that we are relationally connected so that there is trust filling the gap. You know what I'm saying? When there's tension and we're looking across the table at each other, and we're like, are you crazy, right, for us to be able to fill in the gap with trust and love? It takes a lot of effort, and it takes a lot of time, and it is not efficient. And our culture loves efficiency. In fact, I would say it almost worships it. <laughs> time is money. And uh, in our culture, um, anything related to money is, is um, almost godlike, right? And so it's not efficient. But here's the thing. I don't believe God's interested in us being as, as interested in us being efficient as he is in us being effective. So the elder leading model is not necessarily efficient, but I believe it is absolutely effective for leading God's church. Because you get a group of people together who bring a diversity of gifts and perspectives. Uh, you have fast thinkers with deliberate thinkers, right? Some guys that are ready to bam, 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 make a discussion, have, have decisions. Another guy going, wait a minute, I'm five sentences back. I'm going to need time to process, right? You have risk lovers and risk haters, right? Some people that are just drawn to the edge of the cliff to peer over to discover if maybe they might be able to jump and others that are like, wait, 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 let's stay 10 feet back, right? So, so some that are pushing forward, some that are pulling back. So here's the thing. We're not always faster together, but I'm absolutely convinced we're better together. As we learn to trust one another, to submit to one another, um, and to grow in our love for one another. Each man has an equal voice, and each is responsible to God for how they use that voice in, in the influence and the leadership of the church. So, who should be elders? How do we know who to pick? How do we recognize elders? Well, if we followed our cultural instincts, we would probably gravitate toward the powerful and the popular and the successful, right? Just look around and say, all right, who's, who are the most successful businessmen in the room? Obviously, we want them at the table, right? They understand strategy. They understand how to make systems grow. They understand a lot of things. And, the, and the, that's true. That, 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 is, um, that is important experience, right? Good businessmen, people with cultural and political and local clout, popular people. There's nothing wrong with these things. But those are not the things we're looking for in an elder. When the Bible tells us how to pick elders, it doesn't give us a job description. It gives us a man description. And it has much more to do with character than with outward signs of success. Um, there are two places in the Bible where um, it's specifically detailed and spelled out um, what the character qualities of an elder are. 1 Timothy 3, which we read this morning, Titus 1 is another passage, and they, and they almost directly overlap in their content. And there are around a dozen character qualities. I'll just throw them up there. I'm not going to spend a lot of time going over all of these. Um, we have already published and, and pushed out documents that kind of explain these more in depth. But, but I want you to notice that what's being described here is not a set of competencies. Like these are things the guys need to be able to do. Not a list of successes they need to have been able to achieve. Not, not, not the things that bring worldly recognition or um, garner 
um, accolades for success, they are character issues. And they are often quiet, um, and they are often forged in suffering and over a time through trial. So they are above reproach, doesn't mean they're perfect, but it does mean that when you look at the trajectory of their lives, you can see the direction they're going. These are men who have tasted deeply of grace, and they're maturing in that grace. These are men who, who um, have learned the beauty of humility and, and the beauty of grace. These are guys who, who aren't always perfect. They sin. <laughs> Good thing, because otherwise we would just need Jesus to take all the elder spots, right? We're broken people who still sin, but these are people that gravitate quickly toward confession. These guys are open about their brokenness. They're open about their struggles, and they invite um, other people into those struggles, so, so that they might be held accountable and they might be able to move toward freedom, right? They're above reproach. They're not new converts um, so that they are not prone toward pride so that they have some experience. They need to have some miles under their feet, right? They need to have some, some distance um, in their spiritual life so that um, as they're moving forward, they can draw on that experience, um, they are husbands of one wife. Literally, the Greek means they are one women men. So what that means is, is they need to be the kind of person who, they're, they're, they don't, they're, not, they're not the kind of guys who're worried about their eyes wandering. They're not skirt chasers. Um, they're not constantly dreaming about other women and pursuing other interests. They are, they are settled. They are focused. They are one women men. Um, they lead their own homes well. Obviously, a precursor for how they're going to lead in the church, right? Um, Titus says that they need to have children who are believers. This doesn't mean that they, they have this, this stranglehold on their home, that they keep everybody in submission. What it means is they lead their home in grace, right? When you look at their home, you see a flourishing of grace. It doesn't mean you don't see brokenness. You will. It doesn't mean you're not going to see suffering or challenge. You will. It doesn't mean you're not going to see rebellion in certain stages of life. You will. But it does mean you see a clear pattern of them learning to lead from grace and to grace. So they're leading their families into a greater freedom and joy and experience of, 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 of delight in God, right? Not just buckling down on the external behaviors, but leading the hearts of the family uh, to respond to the love of God. They are respectable which means they call out. Uh, you look at the manner of their life, you look at their bearing, you look at their influence, and, and it calls out um, a respect, right? The, it, it, you look at them and you say, that's somebody I'd follow. That, that's somebody I would stand with. That's somebody I would like to have in the trenches with me, right? They are self-controlled. They're not drunks. Um, obviously, this means they're not drunks. Um, but beyond that, uh, it means that they, um, they, don't, they don't run to um, artificial external sources other than grace to help them in their time of need, right? They don't run to substances or, or behaviors that are meant to actually dull their senses and, and distract them. Uh, they run to grace. They, they re-enliven their hearts in grace instead of running to other substances. They've disciplined their, themselves to, to really learn to be um, intoxicated, with God's love, even when it's very hard. They're not driven by a love of money. They're not driven by a self-interest. They're not driven. They don't do this thing because uh, of, of personal gain, material gain, reputation gain. They don't do this thing out of self-glory, um, nor because there's money involved. I can guarantee you they're not doing it for that reason. Um, they're hospitable. 
um, and you're like, yes, that means I'm going to be invited over. No, it doesn't mean that. It's not that elders aren't hospitable and don't love. The word literally means um, a lover of strangers, right? You've heard a lot in recent days, I have no doubt about xenophobia, the fear of the stranger, the fear of the outsider. This word's the exact opposite. It means that elders are to be the lovers of the strangers, the lovers of the outsiders. They are to engage mission, right? They are to open up their lives and they are to open up their homes to engage people that are far from God that they might be brought near. It doesn't mean that they spend all of their lives entertaining believers. That's not what this means, right? Uh, it does mean that they are actively pursuing and engaging, loving, and, and sharing the gospel with those that um, need to hear it, right? They're sober-minded, um, which means that they have a level head, right? You get into, into debates, you get into uncertain waters, which we get into all the time, right? We have discussions all the time. We're looking across the table going, I'm not sure I even know how to process this, let alone know what our conclusion is going to be. Right? You need people in that moment who are not going to flip off in fear or, or spin off in, in, in some passionate rage or get all defensive. You need people that are level-headed, sober-minded, so that they can engage difficult issues um, without um, bullying, without puffing up in pride or pulling away and um, you know, getting into a fetal position in the corner. Uh, they need to be nonviolent and not contentious. Um, they need to not be driven by their daddy wounds to, to become overly aggressive and puffed up and defensive. You know what I'm saying? Like, like a lot of times um, guys, when they feel like they have something to prove, what ends up happening is that comes out in being overly aggressive, like, like trying to make their, their, their presence bigger and their influence bigger. These are guys that have a humble confidence in the gospel. Right? They don't need to resort to violence. They don't need to resort to bullying. They don't need to, to be contentious, always looking for a fight. These guys are, are content to, um, and, and joyful to ask questions and to learn. They are gentle. Um, and I love this. It doesn't mean that they're weak. It means that they're meek. Right? The difference is weakness means you don't have strength. Meekness means you have strength, but it's properly exercised. Right? These are guys that know how to properly exercise their strength. Um, which means they are approachable, right? When, when somebody is hurting, when somebody is in sin, when somebody is like their life is just, just falling apart, when they've made a series of bad choices and they're covered in shame and they're afraid to admit it, but they know they need help, an elder needs to be a gentle, welcoming presence. Somebody who can actually bring strength into their area of weakness, strength into the area of hurting, but they, they use that strength not to condemn, not to hurt, not to defend, not to, you know what I'm saying? But, but, but to invite, right? There's a gentleness to them. They have a good reputation with people outside of the church. Um, so not just respectable inside the church, but, but a reputation outside of the church. These are people, um, and it kind of goes with hospitable, that idea of entertaining the stranger. These are people that have a good standing in the community, right? They, they're not um, creating enemies out there while they're um, trying to appeal to people's adoration in here. Uh, they recognize that the love of God moves them not just here, but out, right? And, and so they seek to be a blessing to their neighborhood. They seek to be a blessing to their job place. They seek to be a blessing to their community because they see the call of Christ as, as universal and holistic and not just individual and self-focused. And they're able to teach, one of the fundamental um, needs of an elder is that they have the ability to lead others into what they're experiencing. It doesn't mean that every elder is, is going to be gifted to stand up front and do public speaking. Uh, it doesn't mean that every elder is going to be gifted to, to um, take the pulpit. Um, what it does mean is that they are prone. They are just naturally inclined and gifted 
and helping people move into the freedom they themselves have experienced. Right? They enjoy and, and are gifted and are able to communicate clearly to help others understand grace and move more freely into grace. All right, so when you look at this character list, what we're talking about are, are really uh, men who, who have uh, developed um, by the grace of God, but over a period of time through, through um, intentional discipline and growth in their spiritual life, a character right? An emotional maturity, um, a balance and, a, and a, um, a gentleness that comes with experience. They're not perfect, but their life is on a trajectory of grace. These things that we're describing here are actually the fruit of someone who has embraced grace. These are the things that result in the life of someone who, who knows how deeply they are loved by God. And they're sitting in that love and allowing that love to shape their character. They allow that love to melt their hearts, and this is the stuff that comes out. Um, it is important that they have this kind of growth in response to grace, right? When we're talking about people who are going to lead the church, you want people that are going to be able to lead in an experience of grace. If they're going to lead others into a deeper experience of grace, they need to be progressively moving into that deeper experience. So the final question um, is this, what do elders do, right? When we, when we recognize elders, most of what elders do, you don't see, right? Um, you'll see me because I'm up front and I'm preaching, um, and, I, and I do a lot of public things. And so people have this idea of the pastor, and you have an idea of, of, of what I do, um, maybe, <laughs> you might still be wondering, what does he do with his week? Um, and I'm not sure myself most of the time. Um, but what about these other elders? What are they, what are they doing? Um, all right, the Bible gives three titles to elders, and each of those titles describes a role that they play in the church, and those roles define their function. Those roles um, lead to the activity, right? And those three titles are elders, overseers, and shepherds, or more commonly known as pastors. Um, and those names, those titles speak to their jobs. Let's kind of move through those. First of all, they are seen as elders. All right, you all know what elder means. Um, it's used in a technical sense in the church, um, but it literally means somebody who's older, right? Literally means somebody who's older. It can speak of age, but I think it more importantly speaks to the maturation of experience and wisdom. So an elder is somebody who, who has some, some wisdom and some experience and has grown in uh, their walk to a point where they are recognized as being um, people worthy of influencing others. I was in a church for years when I first became a believer where they took this term elder very, very literally. Um, you had to definitely be a white hair uh, to be an elder right? If somebody was in their 50s and was recognized as an elder, that was a bit scandalous um, because they, they were just salt and pepper. They weren't fully white yet, right? So they needed the full white hair to, to be able to be recognized as elders. We started going to the journey in uh, the mid-2000s. The journey is a church in St. Louis that's actually our parent church. They sent uh, me out to plant Trailhead Church. And we started going to, tra uh, to the journey and the elders there were in their 30s, right? I was 35 at the time, um, so uh, I was like right in the, the same age range. And in fact, there were a couple elders there who were younger than me. And I remember driving to church um, one morning, and one of my daughters 
from the back seat. She just out of the blue was like, hey, dad. I'm like, yeah. She goes, you know the elders here? I'm like, yeah. She goes, they should be called the youngers. <laughs> I'm like, what? She's like, they're just young. They're younger, right? And, and that is true. Um, it was different than what we experienced and, and different from, from our previous church. Um, but I think it highlights this. Here's the thing. We're talking about an elder. We're talking about um, wisdom, more than age, right? Because wisdom doesn't always come with age. Let's just be honest, right? <laughs> there are plenty of old people who are really just aged foolishness. I'm just going to be honest, right? We're not looking for people who are just older. We're looking pe- for people who are aged in grace, we're looking for people who have grown in the experience of grace, right? And have developed that kind of character that um, comes from that, right? Wisdom doesn't come from, from um, um, age itself. It comes from experience, and, and, and it comes from a humble heart responding to grace. And, and so what we're looking for is not necessarily an age, but, but a maturity, right? And that does take a little bit of, of time, Right? It does take a little bit of mileage under the feet and, 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 and age on the calendar. Right, You can't be super young and have the level of life experience necessary to lead. Right, um, But we are looking for maturity. Um, so to be seen as elders, they need to be men who, who call out respect. Um, so secondly, the second title that's used is they need to function as overseers. They need to function as overseers. Uh, that term is used, in fact, it's used right here in 1 Timothy 3. Um, an overseer, in the King James Version, that's translated bishop, and in some church traditions, that's the title they still use, right? You'll hear someone talk about bishop so-and-so and bishop so-and-so. Uh, that's a word that literally means overseer, and the word overseer literally means manager. <laughs> it means that elders are to be managers. Elders manage the body. The, the, in a way that leads to its health, they, they oversee its functions, right? Now, when you talk about managers, um, again, culturally, that's just not a very sexy term for us. I don't know very many people that are like aspiring, man, when I grow up, I want to be a manager. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's just, no, it's like, I want to be a leader, man. I want to be a leader, right? Uh, as if somehow you could be a leader without being a manager, right? Um, managing, being a manager simply means making the most of what is. A good manager in any function is somebody who is good at making the most of what is. A leader is somebody who leads through change. A leader is somebody who envisions a future that isn't currently present and is able to lead to the experience of that. But every leader will eventually, if not immediately, become a manager as well. If they successfully navigate the change, they need to then make the most of what is. Elders need to be overseers. They are managers, right? Um, And so they need to make the most of what is. They need to take a look at the church. They need to be able to uh, take its temperature, see its direction, um, and they need to look at its discipleship. They need to look at its, its outreach. They need to look at the, the health of, of, of its community, the interaction of, of its members, the, the growth and experience of grace. Uh, they need to take a look at the finances and the books and, and, and see if the, the church is caring well for its members and is managing the resources that God has entrusted to it well, and they need to seek to make the most of what is. So they manage the budget, 
and they manage the resources, and they manage the systems. Uh, it doesn't mean they do it all themselves, because they don't, they couldn't, um, but it does mean they're accountable to oversee it all, right? The elders oversee the functioning of the entire church, and, and it's their job uh, to, to manage it well, to work with other leaders, to work with, with other people, to delegate well, to hold people accountable well, to, to help people grow well. They are managers. But they aren't just managers, they are also shepherds. Um, the last title that is used of um, New Testament elders is that of a shepherd. Um, and you're probably more familiar with the term pastor. In, in our culture, we tend to think of somebody who leads the church as a pastor. Our English word pastor is the exact same as shepherd. They mean the same thing and they come from the same texts. Um, a shepherd, pastor, uh, it's metaphorical. It means somebody who keeps the flock, <laughs> right? Uh, thankfully, this is not literal um, because I don't do animals well. Um, and, uh, and as much as Lauren would love for us to have five chickens and five goats and five cows and a little farm, um, I, you know, that's not my thing. Um, that is not my, my skill. So we're not talking, obviously, literal. We're talking metaphorical, right? The Scripture often calls God's people sheep, um, which is both beautiful and not very much of a compliment, okay? Um, because sheep are, are, are nice and friendly and dumb. And, um, and so as a sheep among sheep, um, we need shepherds, right? Uh, and what this means is this, you guys, elders to be good shepherds, elders to be good pastors. They, they need to know the sheep, Right? Elders aren't apart from the sheep. Elders aren't like leading from a distance from the sheep, right? The best shepherds smell like the sheep, which only makes sense because even your shepherds are sheep, right? We, we, we need the very things we're leading other people to experience, right? So we're not just business managers sitting up in an office somewhere making financial decisions. We know the sheep. We protect the sheep. We recognize that as elders, we have the primary responsibility in the church to watch out for the people that have been entrusted to us, to care for them, uh, to protect them. Um, and um, uh, elders even direct, lead, teach, and even discipline the sheep, um, which isn't uh, the most fun right? But a shepherd needs a crook. A shepherd needs to be able to correct the sheep because all of us at times need to be corrected. Now, again, just to make it clear, the elders need the other elders to function in that capacity for them as well. There are times when I need the crook put around my neck and I need to be brought back on, on, on track. And, and I rely on the other elders to function in that way in my life as well right? Now, most importantly, it's this. They don't do all of this stuff because they were hired. They don't do all of this stuff because it's simply their duty. They do this stuff because they love the sheep. Good shepherds love the sheep, right? Jesus called himself the chief shepherd, right? He, that's the title he gave to himself, the chief shepherd. As elders, we function as under-shepherds, right? Uh, I'm the lead pastor, if you want to put it that way, um, uh, in the church, which means that, that I'm the first among equals when it comes to vision and direction. 
right? Uh, I'm, I have no more authority than any of the other elders, um, and I don't function in a way that is domineering or over, over them. I submit myself to them. But we all submit them, ourselves to the senior pastor of the church, who's Jesus. Now, Jesus is, is the, the leader of the church, the chief shepherd, and the elders need to follow in his path. How did Jesus love his sheep? He laid down his life for them. That's the pattern of leadership. Self-sacrificial, loving leadership, right? He laid down his life for the sheep. He died for them so that they could be saved, right? Jesus wasn't motivated by self-interest. He wasn't motivated by personal agendas. Uh, He wasn't about personal glory. He wasn't about personal advancement. So a true shepherd, a good elder, leads the sheep because he loves the sheep. God has in a unique um, and, and God-given way broken his heart for the people of that church. And it is unique to that church. Just because somebody is an elder in one church does not make necessarily make them an elder in another church, right? Um, there's a piece there where, where it, is, it is locality specific, right? God has broken my heart for these people in this place. It doesn't mean that even if for some reason God led me to leave, and I went to some other church, I wouldn't immediately function as an elder in that body. I would be a sheep in that body. God might call me to be an elder. There he might not. It, it is, it is um, locality. So God breaks a shepherd's heart for the sheep that he leads, and that's um, part of that unique calling that we talk about. So elders are pastors. All of our elders are pastors. All of our elders are shepherds. They are involved in the people's lives that they lead to care for them, to help them grow, um, to weep with their sorrow, to celebrate with their joy, to bring godly correction um, to their wayward hearts, and ultimately to help them grow in the freedom of grace, to help them flourish in the beauty of the kingdom because they are motivated by love. So they lay down their lives for the church. There's a lot that I see that, that you guys don't. And um, I am incredibly, incredibly grateful for um, the, uh, the elders and their wives and their families. Because um, you want to know the job description of an elder? job description of an elder is, is you need to sacrifice. You need to lay down your life. You need to give up sleep. You you need to allow the hurt of others to come in and settle deeply in your heart so that in the middle of the night, if the Spirit rouses you to pray for somebody in the church, you sacrifice sleep to wrestle with God in prayer for that person. It means that you sacrifice margin in your schedule for meetings, (laughs) right? Um, the elders meet every Friday morning for prayer. We meet several times a month just to talk about the needs and the strategies and, and, and the demands that come with a growing body. These are guys that are working full-time jobs, and many of them full-time and a half. And they are sacrificing the margin of, of their free time um, in order to invest, right? They, they um, are part of an inefficient system because they're convinced it's effective. They are willing to, to uh, be part of the messy conversations and, and the wrestling in prayer 
right? They lead in financial sacrifice. These, these are people that are so committed, so loving. They lead in financial sacrifice in the church. Not because we ask them to, not because we demand that they do it, but because their hearts love this people and are lit up by this mission. And so they lead in, um, in sacrifice. They weep with those who are weep. They mourn with those who mourn. You're like, man, that really sounds like it sucks. <laughs> it doesn't. It's actually glorious and beautiful, right? It's the inverted values of the kingdom, right? Uh, and we know uh, it is more blessed to give than to receive, right? There's a, a blessing that comes in our life, a deep experience of grace as, as we learn to lay down our lives for others. It really is beautiful, and it is freeing. And, and um, it is a powerful experience of grace, sharing that experience with others. It is hard, but there's joy in it for those that are called to it. But it's a weight that should call out honor and respect. And so as we um, recognize new elders in our body, I am calling the body to celebrate with us, um, but to pray for us. And ultimately, to give the honor and respect to these men and to their families um, that their sacrifice um, duly um, requires, right? Paul tells Timothy at the beginning of our passage, he says, it is a trustworthy saying, if anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. This is a noble task. And the people that are committing their lives to it um, should be honored. And I would encourage you um, to thank them. I would encourage you to be mindful of them. I would encourage you to pray for them. I would encourage you to, to, um, to seek to be an encouragement to them as God enables you and, um, and equips you, right? All right, I'm actually going to call the guys up. Um, Dan and Clint, why don't you guys come up here? Um, Dan and Clint are um, our current elders. They were recognized about two years ago. They went through the first elder process. Is Dan here? Come on, I'm going to get after that boy. Um, Dan and Clint have been incredibly faithful partners um, in, in leading this church and um, in many ways have been um, my lifeblood. Uh, they have been the presence of God's grace to me tangibly as we have led um, over the initial years of this church. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and invite um, uh, Den and, and Kevin and Aaron to come on up, and if your wives would come up as well, that would be great. Um, Den and Sarah, Kevin and Meg, Aaron and Joni, you guys come on up. Um, I want to introduce these guys to you um, and explain a little bit of what's been going on um, with them for the last year. Why don't you guys just come on up front? I know this is an awkward stage. Um, but, um, um, so these guys, just so you know, um, it was a little over, it was about a year and a half ago that, that we decided that, um, the church was growing and that we needed more elders to help carry the burden of, of eldership. Um, because this is such a significant, um, entrustment, because we really want to be able to discern God's direction um, our eldership process takes a year. These guys have invested a full year into, um, into this process. And over that time, there are three areas that we've identified that we look at and invest in, right? So what we do is we observe their character. 
Um, we, we put them in situations that put a lot of pressure on them, <laughs> and we watch what comes out, okay? Because that's how you test character, right? You don't test character when things are the best. You test character when things go wrong, right? So we push on them and make them uncomfortable and see what comes out. Uh, and, and then we look at competence, right? We're looking at, okay, what are the skills and the attributes? How has God uniquely wired you so that when you come on um, this team, what, what are the ways God's going to equip you to lead for the benefit of the body. And, and so that's for them, exploration as well as for us, right? A lot of times they come in thinking their strengths are one thing. And, and over the course of the year, they discover, man, the Spirit's really moving my heart to, to grow and invest in, in this area, right? And then the third area is chemistry. And chemistry is that area that, that's um, really, really important. That's that local piece. And what that means is, is do they click well with our eldership culture? Do they click well with the elders that are already in place? Not just do they get along. That's not the big thing. But, but do they work well? Can we all sit at the table and look across the table with respect and with honor? Um, and do they click well with the culture of our church? Right? Each local church has a unique culture, a unique vision that God is forming and shaping in that church. And so one of the questions we're asking is, is do these guys get it? Right? Do they get us? Do they get who God is shaping us to be? And do they see us, not as we are, but who God wants us to be? Right? Do, they, do they get that sanctified vision of who we're supposed to be? And are they passionate about helping our church lead in that direction? So for the last year, these guys have invested countless hours. They have submitted themselves to um, all kinds of questions, uh, lots of conversations. Um, and um, um, man, it's just been beautiful getting to know these guys. And, um, and so this morning, uh, over the last month, we sent out a letter about two months ago now um, asking for public comment. And after that process, um, the elders are comfortable um, installing these men as elders uh, of Trailhead Church. And, and so this morning, uh, I am going to invite you to celebrate with us and pray with us as um, Clint and I pray for these guys um, and, and really just ask God uh, to bless them and to continue to bless our church. Can you guys come up here maybe and so we can just lay hands on you and pray over you and feel awkward? Yes, yes, I love awkward. All right. Um, Cassie, Lauren, I don't know if you're in here, but if you want to come up and just lay hands on them as well, that would be awesome. There she is. Lauren hates it when I ask her to come up front. And hates it even more when I point it out. All right. <laughs> Let's pray for these guys. Father God, I thank you. Um, I thank you, Lord, for this church. I thank you, Lord. Um, for um, your son, for the gift of grace. I thank you, Lord, that we have the great privilege of drinking deeply of your love, allowing that love to transform us, to change us, to set us free, and then the unique and special and weighty privilege of leading this church to that same well, to drink deeply, to be changed, and to go out in freedom and joy. Father, I pray your rich blessing on these men and on their families. I pray your rich blessing on this church and on the mission that you've entrusted to us. I pray, Lord, that you will make your name great in them, that you will protect them from the attacks of the enemy, that you will free them in joy, that you will give us mutual humility and mutual trust, that we will be a group 
with no unspoken conversations, that we will be a group uh, who quickly, honestly, affirms and loves one another, and that that will help shape and form the culture of this incredible church that you're raising up. Lord, we love you, and we're so thankful to you, and pray your rich blessing, Lord, as we seek to follow you, simply being faithful to what you've instructed us to do as we seek to become uh, who you're shaping us to be. So, Father, we thank you, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we get one more unique privilege here. Um, one of the people we just installed, uh, Aaron and uh, Joni, um, turn around. Um, Aaron has been with us for the last um, two years as a church planning resident. Many of you know that. He has helped share the pulpit. He has um, helped share leadership uh, weight um, and he and Joni have been faithful servants and blessings um, to this church. He came into the eldership process really as a training tool. Um, I was like, dude, why don't you jump in so you can see how we do it? It's not that we've got the thing wired. It's not that we're perfect at it, but, but it'll help you learn. And then as he just went through the year, he became so integrated into our group. And, and, and it was so much a part of what was happening. I'm like, man, uh, I really feel like the Spirit's just, I, I don't think this is an audit. I think you're really taking this class. Um, I think there's credit here, and, and, and we, want to, um, we want to recognize you um, as an elder. And um, here's the thing. Uh, Aaron and Joni are now moving out to plant Access Church in Troy. And, uh, and so even as we recognize them and commission them, we want to faithfully send them out. Um, and so now we're going to pray over them. Uh, to send them out to commission them to plant this new church. Um, it is our great honor to be able to send them out, to partner with them in the effort to bring the gospel um, to, to continuing to see it expand through the Metro East, right? Uh, it's really cool. This morning is actually the two-year anniversary of Heights Church down in Collinsville, our first daughter church. Uh, we sent Corey out two years ago um, to plant that church. It was a great honor, and they're thriving and doing incredibly well. And we get the great honor on this, um, the anniversary of that, to, to, to send these guys out as well. Okay, so all you guys, why don't you come and let's lay hands on these guys. Let's pray for them, and, um, and let's send them out. Father, we thank you for the call that you've placed on Aaron and Joni, that you have um, shaped in them a deep desire um, that the gospel might be advanced through them. Father, we pray that you will give them uh, open doors of influence, that you will allow them to uh, have the conversations they need to have, that you will, um, Spirit, that you will empower the advance of the gospel, that as they simply open up their mouths uh, and open up their lives to share the love of Christ uh, in practical ways and, and in sharing the message of God, who you are and what you've done, um, that there will be a, a real fruitfulness to their labor, that, that people will uh, who are far from you will be brought near. People who don't know you will uh, see your beauty. Um, people that are, are um, followers, but not walking in the full freedom of their, of their calling, not walking in the full joy of grace, that, that they will come into this body and, and taste deeply of what it means to be sons and daughters. Father, I pray that you'll bless this effort and that we'll see many uh, come and, and, and that your name will be lifted up, that you'll be glorified. Lord, it's our honor to partner with them, and we pray your rich blessing on them 
uh, and all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. All right. Thanks, you guys. All right. This morning's a little bit different, like I said, a little bit unique. And, um, and so uh, thank you for um, being the church, honestly. Um, I can't tell you how much joy this church brings my heart. Um, it's just a beautiful thing God's doing here. It is, it is a glorious ruin. <laughs> and I mean that in all the best sense. Um, we are broken people um, stumbling in grace toward holiness. And uh, it is beautiful to stumble with you. And so thank you for being part of that. All right, let me pray for us as we wrap up. And, uh, and then Clint's going to come up and, and we're going to share communion together, but he'll introduce that. So let me just pray for us. Father, I thank you again that we have the great opportunity of being your people. We thank you, Lord, um, for this church, that you are the one who raised up this testimony that, that, Lord, there's nothing, nothing that is done if you're not the one doing it, right? Those, they labor in vain who try to build the house if you're not in it, Lord. And, 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 and we know that this is your church, that we are your people, that this is your testimony, that everything that is done here that is glorious and good is for you. It's your credit and your glory, not ours. We are just so thankful, Lord, that you are pleased to work with us and work through us, that we get to taste that glory, get to taste that freedom and that joy uh, as you're simply at work. So, Lord, I thank you for this church. I thank you for these guys. I pray your rich blessing as we continue to become who you've called us to be. Praise in Jesus' name, amen.